able to actually make those fans feel like they're supporting like a really like their small community club is really legitimate like they're playing in the Premier Mm -hmm. League they have a real serious stadium the kits are really fire and they can buy them as fashion pieces and they're like priced as per they should be priced in Ghana not as if they're priced in America so they're accessible they're good quality um and it's just something they would never normally have as like a you know as like a symbol of pride for their community absolutely i think that's yeah like a different kind of cool all right welcome everyone to another episode of because football it's your host andrew and i'm here with johnny hopcroft from icarus uh he's aware of many hats head of the uk office um head of manufacturing just many things as, as being part of uh being the startup that Icarus is. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of his personal football journey and, and kind of what, what Icarus is able to offer to, to the, the football world and culture. Um, and uh, of course, touch on some, some, uh, some of his, his support of, of Fulham FC and, and some of the American connections there. So uh, I guess, first of all, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us here on Because Football. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew, for the intro. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. It's my first ever podcast appearance, which is exciting. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to get into some of these questions. Always always happy to chat football, especially happy to chat for them. So it should be a good, good yeah. chat. Awesome. Yeah, I know when... So Johnny and I had met at the United Soccer Coaches Convention uh, this past January in Philadelphia. And just... I had known about Icarus for a while. Um, is more of a, a fill, on the U.S. side of Philadelphia-based company, Correct. Yes, yes. Yeah. So the company is founded in Philly, um, and then we also have an office, a regional office here in London. Right. Yep. So I'd kind of, for whatever reasons, I've been had had Icarus on the radar. Have a nice, uh, as I told you guys, I have a nice, like unofficial, the unofficial Brendan Aronson sort of Red Bull Salzburg, uh, you know, officially approved whatever it was, but but really nice shirt that I have myself, and I've gotten like Icarus kids for a lot of friends as gifts and things like that and just always have, have been following you guys so it was great to to finally meet and connect um and, and just instantly be able to kind of shop like swap passion and interest in, in not only just the game itself but um a lot of i think the off the beaten path the maybe the more niche um not not always just the the big glitzy uh, stories and clubs and teams of like the world cup and the champions league and the top tiers of of the footballing world but you know uh everything else in between and there is so much in between so it's really great to connect uh but yeah i guess first thing is like tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of uh you know what what uh kind of has brought you to this point in a little bit of uh you know uh, as far as you're you're getting connected with icarus or or kind of what led up to this point yeah it's like a pretty I'd say fortuitous journey, really. Um, I mean, you know, I grew up in the UK, just outside of London, in a town called Weybridge. Um, you know, I, I would say I've always been a massive football fan, but it's actually not totally true. And I didn't really start liking football until I was about, what's that, like 12 or 11, which hmm. sounds pretty young, I think, in, in America. But in England, that's like very old. It's yeah, it's like, like what's wrong with football. you? Like, yeah, what have you exactly. been doing? Yeah. I was like, ah, I, I didn't really dig it that much as a kid. And, it's strange when I look back on it. So I actually, I went, to, you know, my whole family went to games. Like my mum, probably the biggest football fan in the family, used to, she grew up in, all around the UK. Um, as a kid, like went to Southampton games, um, which back then, you know, there weren't many like young girls going to these football matches. Right. Um, in the 70s or whatnot. Um, so I think it gets a lot of passion. Like my dad, 
again, like they were at the Wimbledon 89 Cup final, was very into football. My brother was very into it. Um, my sister less so, but I guess, yeah, it took me a while. Um, but then when I was about 12, I think maybe in an attempt to get me into football, I started going to Wokey FC games, um, which was a local, I think at that time, National League South club. Um, they actually set to uh, in the same division as Wrexham now. Um, so it's okay. playoffs. I think they've got a game yeah, and, and pretty big. But yeah, to, to just pause you real quick then, yeah, for many, many listeners who aren't totally familiar with the English football period, pyramid, maybe a bit more so now because of Wrexham and everything there. But yeah, so what would that, that national... Premier League, would that be the fifth, fifth division? It'd be, sixth the, division, it'd be the sixth, sixth, sixth division. Um, sixth so division. Okay. The fifth, just compared to the fourth. Working now on the fifth and uh, make up promoted with Wrexham. Um, but yeah, so I went, I went to a season on league football. And I think that just really got me into it. it kind of gave me the bug because, you know, it's so close to the pitch. It's everyone mm. there is so attuned to the game. It's very old school. Like, yeah, half the time I remember they had a star striker when I was watching Giuseppe Sol, who was um, English, but like Italian born. Um, <laughs> and like at half time, like his mum, like his actual mother, would come around at half time with a bucket to collect donations for like the local charity. And it's yeah. just like the star striker who scored like 100 yeah. goals for Um So I just found that like very charming. And that really got me into watching football as a whole. Um, and around the same time, Fulham, that was, I think that was the, se- the season after that. I, my brother was a Fulham fan for context as well, but I, at that point I got into watching Fulham. And so okay. the Europa League season in 09-10, I started watching games with my brother. Um, and if anything's going to get you into football, it's like that watching the Fulham Europa League season because it's just so many incredible games. And it's almost I look back on it with like a sense of like real sadness now that I watched that. But that was how I got into sporting Fulham like that season. Because like, at that the peak, season, it was like again. all downhill. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's, After it's, it's that. never going to get like never let go. And also, yeah. like, obviously, obviously, the match is meant something like you cared about it, but it, I didn't care about it in the same way I would have cared about it if that happened now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like yeah, it's a bit of sweetness to it, but you know, it was what really gave me the bug for them as well. Um, and from there, it just kind of like became a growing obsession. You know, we started going to as a family going to film. The next season, we've got season tickets as a family, and I've gone every season since then. So it's about 12, 13 years now. Um, so I've seen a lot of good football, seen a lot of very bad football. Um, yeah, yeah, a bit of uh, up and down. And and like you're saying, when you, your Fulham kind of fandom started, like it wasn't a club that was too familiar with the European stage, like at that time. It was mostly like, you know, they throw their weight around a bit in the Premier League and things, but but not quite you know, against the likes of like Juventus, of course, like I even remember watching that in the, the, the Clint Dempsey chip over Buffon at, at Creighton Cottage. I mean, iconic, iconic goal. Um, but yeah, what's that kind of been since then? I know Fulham's had a bit of an up and down and now they are back in the prem, but you know, how would you describe those 12, 13 years of seeing everything up close at, at Craven Cottage? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I'm, I'm almost in hindsight glad that Fulham got relegated because it gave me a totally new view of supporting football as like a middling really bad um EFL club um you know there was some pretty especially in the first two seasons after we got relegated like 2014 to 2016 and Kit Simons managerial era like you look back on those teams and they're, they're insane like you have like a Mitchell like Dan Byrne who's obviously killing it right now in Newcastle mm-hmm. um but at that time was playing very poorly you know Moose and Ballet up top who was you know playing yeah, Leon, a beast playing yep. you had like Ross McCormack, who was great in championship. And then you just had like 
Sean Kavanagh, who was this like left back promoted from the youth team, who has now retired, I think, at a pretty young age, unfortunately. But he was playing in centre midfield with like Tim Hooglands, this German um, mm. right back problem, the German second division, also in midfield. Um, you know, you just, in the championship, you just get very strange teams. You end up with two players yeah. who are like, actually very talented, who go on to big things, and players who aren't so good. Um, and that just plays so much turnover. It's so unpredictable. So I think those seasons are like, very enjoyable. It's just could be un- unpredictability about it. Um, and also during that time, like the four years before we initially got promoted to the Premier League, the um, the Premier League just completely changed. Because like when Plum got relegated right. in 2014, like the Premier League was, you know, it was glitzy and there was a lot of money in it. But it wasn't the like City Liverpool era, like every team can spend 50 million pounds on player era Premier League mm-hmm. than it is today. Yeah. Um, and so it was like interesting seeing like that change while Fulham was in the second division. Um, and then like how as a result, importance to the Canes get promoted and and all that. Um but yeah, it's been, on the whole, it's been pretty good. A lot of promotions, a lot of good games. I've gone to a lot of good ones. Been able to go, very fortunate to go to a lot of games this season. Um, so I'm looking forward to the Villa game. We still have an outside chance to go to the league, so I'm looking forward to the Villa game yeah, tonight. Yeah, and um, at least like, you know, uh, and, and do you, would you say as a, uh, a supporter's like first, you're just kind of always just counting up the points to safety to make it sure we're not going, and then it's like after that. Or, or do you think as Fulham fans, you guys allow yourself to, to dream a little bit and say, hey, this might be a year and, I, you know, uh, maybe open yourselves up a little bit um, to, to whatever the season I might mean, bring. I mean, I would say I'm always pretty totally deluded every season. Where like, <laughs> like, midway through this season, like, you know, I was texting my brother saying, like, I'm pretty sure we can get Champions League this season. Like, you know, three points <laughs> off Newcastle, win yeah. this game, win that game. Yeah. And then two games later, you're like, Mitch Richardson and Band for a season, your, your hopes are totally extinguished. But. Yeah, I would say I lean towards the more deluded side. Gotcha. My parents say, probably lean towards the more realistic side. Okay, gotcha. They're they're the anchor weighing you down a little bit there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. And and yeah. And so speaking of Fulham, like it's a a club that's always really stuck out to me because probably around similar times when I started really following. You know, as a kid, I <clears throat> followed all the American sports, and then all of a sudden, I guess I was like twelve or thirteen, and those all just fell away and it was like just soccer and started watching the premier league and, and just like, you know, Bundesliga and then La Liga, like tons of things. That was more of like the Ronaldinho era and then like Ronaldo kind of getting started and things at United. Um, but, but of course, like Fulham has always had this connection with the U S so it always stuck out. So it was easy to see like Carlos Bocanegra and Brian McBride and then like Dempsey. Um, and uh, so it's been really interesting to see that. And then, and then like, to today as well there's kind of been that so it's it's kind of interesting I don't see I can't really think of another club in England that kind of has that same depth of of connection to the U.S. is that something that you know you guys as as like English UK like fans of Fulham they're kind of aware of of having that and, and know that relationship or is it like oh yeah they've just been you know one of many foreign players that come through the club no totally totally I think you know Fulham America is a phrase and We've had so many. I mean, even like the ones you haven't worked out, like Eddie Johnson. Um, yeah, you know, that's right, Eddie Johnson. I'm, yep. I'm trying to remember off to my head. Yeah, um, Casey Keller was he? Yeah, right? Casey, yeah. Was, yeah. yeah Bocanegra, McBride. It's, it's been like a long, steady relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And also, fact we've had like Dempsey and Tim Ream, who, in my opinion, are sent us to bed on Sunday and um, for context. Um, my, my flatmate and also works there, Chris. Um, 
But I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that Tim Ream right now is playing at a higher level than any American player ever, ever has done. Um, wow. I feel empowered to say that because like, I saw Dempsey at his peak. I think Dempsey would potentially lay claim to that, um, you know, that 2012-13 season. Um, mm -hmm. If not, and just the things that Ream has done over, like, not just this season, but just, like, last season as well, has been so consistently excellent at a time when the Premier League now is, is at a higher level than any football has ever been. Um, yeah. And he's just making it look effortlessly easy. So I think, I mean, it's also been strengthened by the fact that we've had, um, like, incredibly good players. Like, Ream has played at this point, like 250, 300 games for them. Um, so it's yeah, a he was with, he's been with them for a while. And it seems like even just the last couple of years, the last two years, really, and like get his form playing himself back into the World Cup as well. Um, you know, it seems like it, his career, he's just continued to get better with age as well. Yeah. Like it just keeps 100%. going and going. 100%. And it, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for him because he had some awful seasons in the Premier League, but... I, I do want, like, I feel like the season when we first went up, uh, it often gets totally, um, in my opinion, mischaracterized. Like the one where we signed 100 million and bought Seri and Angisa and we were mm -hmm. terrible. Um, with Vicia Kalovic. Like, I think people look at that and say, like, oh, what a waste of money. That whole season's a failure. Reem was terrible. But actually, like, Reem, the season before, won player of the season for Fulham in the championship and was, was our best player. I was playing at such and full of like trotted to the trotted to like winning the championship as well, right? They like yeah, I think that, 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 they this is like a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, this is the playoffs, but it was we finished third and had like a, we won twenty three games unbeaten. Okay. We're really really strong. Um, and he was part of the season, and he goes into the next season, and he gets injured. I think before the season, so he missed the first five games. Tom Kenny, who's a captain, also best player, also gets injured, missed the first few games. Mitch was injured. And then by the time he gets back into the team, like the team is already like we we don't we just lost the three best players from the previous season. Mm -hmm. so the whole thing kind of like falls. The manager gets sacked. And so I just, I, yeah, I, I kind of feel like he, despite the fact that everyone's like, oh, Tim Ream has really raised his level, which he has no doubt. I think he's he was pretty harshly um, judged, despite the okay. fact he's had like pretty incredible seasons in previous seasons. Um, so I just want to give a quick Tim Ream shout out. I think. Okay, he's giving them credit, credit that, yeah, maybe the, he's, he's the, the critics yeah. were a bit too loud early on, and now they're just, maybe not necessarily yeah. that his level has raised that much, but they're just seeing, you know, there's consistency in things, and, um, you know, that, that he's he's maybe not necessarily turned it around, but people are just starting to, to pay attention a bit. Um, no, it's good to see. I think it's it's cool. It was something for me, like, when my friends and I were interested, like, you know, I would watch Fulham and then wanted them to do well, but a couple of friends, like, were really into, got the the kids like had the the McBride jersey or the Dempsey jersey and everything. And it was like, you know, that that's so important to see, like to have those connections um, to, to kind of build that interest in the game. And now I think the current generation of kids are a bit spoiled. Um, I guess now we've got a similar thing going on at Leeds as far as like for, for American supporters with Aronson, uh, with McKinney, with Adams. Um, but I think, you know, at the time it was still like, you know, not, not super common to see a lot of, uh, you know, Yanks abroad, especially in, in the Prem. Um, and, uh, you know, I think so it's, it's, it's important, like for, you know, for me on the cultural side, again, being interested in growing the passion for the game and being in touch with a younger generation, like to see kids like this. And I'm sure there's, you know, kids who watch this past world cup who are center backs and want to play like Tim Ream. And now they're going to be Fulham supporters, right. Or the outside back, like want to be like Anthony Robinson. And, and I think it's really, 
really, uh, really cool to see that. So it's great to see their, their success. Totally. Yeah, very, very, very happy for them. Um, but yeah, in, in, terms, in terms of just, I, I can't derail that. It's the journey of like how I ended up at Icarus through, I was trying to yeah. travel, like work. I know, I was just about to so come well. back too. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess around 2016, um, so I graduated high school. Um, I ended up studying in the US. Um, in New Jersey, actually coincidentally in the same town that Robbie, um, who's the founder of Icarus, grew up in. Um, okay. And while while at college, I, you know, I was super into football, obviously, um, did not get into the um, was part of the club soccer team because um, Shark, I'm not actually that good at football, um, and decided instead to create like a like an English style Sunday league team um, okay. in America. Um, so and it's called what it was called Wawa United um, names because we, the club was founded while we were at the Wawa after a night out in our town. Um, it's a great name. And from there, <laughs> thank you, thank you. We're trying to. Could you for, for the many contact with? Sorry, okay. Man. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say if you could just back up, just like we had to explain the English football pyramid. If you and I love your fresh uh, eyes on this. If you could describe Wawa for everyone, uh, everyone listening. Yeah. I mean, where do you start? I mean, it, it's it's basically a convenience store with a subway kitchen. Um, in it as well but at least when we were at uni you know there's not many places that are open 24 7 or sleepy suburban right. town um so if you're looking for a hoagie if you're looking for a mac and cheese if you're looking for um you know just sort of some, some some crisps or just something someone to hang out um while well, was a pretty good bet for late late hours there you go um, a great name for a club yeah, so we but the big news is we're actually at, we have like big college reunions every year. And so this this is in a month's time in May. We I finally reached out to I say big Wawa. This is really regional Wawa because like medium Wawa and small Wawa okay. is our Wawa United. We reached out to medium-sized Wawa, the local Wawa, and they've agreed to hang one of our shirts in the Wawa. Love it. Um Love so it. Having like, wow. like a big like that's a big moment. Ceremony. That's a, it's yeah. a huge moment. The ribbon, yeah, let's so go. Yeah, that's proud. full circle. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, so we're going to have, trying to get local press down there. And hopefully it'll blow up enough so we'll reach Big Wawa. Um, and it kind of links into Icarus as well, because when, this is how I actually found Icarus initially, around 2018, we were looking to make a kit based on the Wawa Panini box. Um, okay. Which is like, at that point, for people who don't know, have water from Wawa, is beige and has a red stripe in the middle, very Boca Junior mm-hmm. style. So yeah. This is the concept, you know, green kit. Or River kit. Plate. I think you're going to offend our Argentine. Yeah, River Plate. I think you're. River Plate colors, but in Boca Juniors. Okay. Gotcha. Style. And so we, yes, I couldn't, I obviously cannot find many places that would service this request. And somehow came upon Icarus. I can't, I think they may have followed us. So how initially, like, we encountered each other and just started chatting to Robbie on the Instagram and uh, if you look back, I've looked back at it before. We chatted ages. It was probably the most annoying client ever. Um, because I was just like so into this like concept that we could design whatever we want and we mm-hmm. could actually do this. And at this point, Robbie, I think, was still part time or maybe just gone full time. Um, and only had maybe like 10, 15 clients. Um, so we were very much test case as well. Um, anyway, we ended up making the shirts and they were like incredible. I love them. You know, really, it, the whole thing was a massive meme as well. Like, so obviously. Everyone Absolutely. loved it, and 
So it's like just a good, just a funny joke when you're called Wild United and you're playing against teams every Sunday. Um, and then in my last year, I, along with actually Ben, who's now working at Chris, um, he started last week. And as a friend of my university, we together set up a soccer conference. I guess also needs a bit of explaining so you don't have them everywhere. But we basically over the summer realized that Jesse Marsh had gone to Princeton. And we we're like, oh, how, do, how has this not been known to us in the last three years? Okay. Um, because in, my, in our minds, like obviously, Princeton has a few famous alums, but no one is as famous as Jesse Marsh. Like, Je- like Jeff Bezos is not, is not Jesse Marsh level of fame if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a football fan. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this needs to be common knowledge. So we try to go into Calvin Speed to basically do the whole thing as an elaborate scheme to get Jesse Marsh to come speak and meet him. In the end, he, okay. he was in the season, but through the process of that, we realized that actually it's hard. Like the Princeton alumni soccer scene is pretty wild. Like you have like Bob Bradley as well, who's like Jesse Marsh. Yep. Yeah, no, they've Bob. been really influential. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Like Grant Wall, um, um, you know, there was like a bunch of this, like even family stories like Lauren DeBlois, a historian at Duke who, um, like writes and teaches about football, which is also very niche. Um, Charlie Salatano, who like runs, um, who used to run the International Champions Cup, um, and I like run okay. a sports group. So we were just like, this is, this is just a crazy collection of people. So we organized this conference um, and invited Robbie to speak at a conference as well, because we really liked what he was doing. Um, so that was the first time like, we actually met him in person. Um, you know, got on the conference was obviously super stressful, so we didn't have that much chance to chat. Fast mm-hmm. forward to later that semester, which was like COVID semester. Um, I was doing a business class and had to write a final presentation of like, like as a pitch for a startup's like growth plan. Um, so obviously I chose Icarus. And after doing that, I presented it to Robbie. Um, and doing the hard lifting yeah. for him. How could he yeah, say no? Yeah. <laughs> long long interview process i guess and but it's funny actually at that point still i was actually set to like intern at the icc like charlie satana's company but my flat at that point my friend and also now current flatmate jean emailed robbie about interning in a because he again like you know it's covid everyone's plans were getting from the room mm-hmm. um so he was looking for something to do and then my thing fell through because of covid as well finds up interning as well jean is now a lawyer and lives with us and you know, went a very different path by very much stuck with Icarus and was like really really into it um and so yeah that's kind of how it happened it's also how you know i was the first employee at that point um when i actually got hired at the end of that summer okay that's why you had this quite unorthodox um structure of the company with you know, very firm U.S. base and U.S. presence and U.S. identity, but also me as an Englishman um, working remotely from London um, and then being an English company as well. So that's kind of like the origin story. And then from there, it's kind of grown organically. Very cool. Very cool. And so now, what would you say is kind of like the the core of what, what Icarus can offer? Obviously, designing, you know, fantastic and super unique and, and very customized kits. Um, but who would you say is like kind of uh, who you mainly are, are helping or supporting or let's say like an average client? Yeah, I, I think in terms of an average client, it, it really varies. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, we just believe fundamentally, like we hate templates, but there's no, as, no two clubs are the same, so really no two kits should be the same as we see it. Um, so that, we kind of think we have value for every club. Obviously, at the very top, top level, you know, your arsenals especially, and you know, they get really catered design support um, from Adidas mm-hmm. at this point. 
Um, and other big clubs do get that. But, you know, when you go down to the championship, most teams are in template kits. Um, actually, in the US, I've probably seen more lowly clubs have custom kits, custom in the sense of bespoke. Than yeah, I've, I've noticed that trend more, yeah, recently in the US. Definitely a lot of clubs going for that. Because I think it's it's yeah. such a key way to connect with the fan base um, and, and to really show the character. Yeah, and, and build a and, fan base. You know, identity. You're trying to build yeah. a club. Like, you're trying to build support and get eyeballs and get people to buy into something. It's a really important part of it. Um, and, it, you know, in the UK, you, you can bear UK-US football culture. In the UK, there's, like, such a long history in conservatism. And, you know, people are going to, like, hate certain football kits if you release them and they're not traditional and conventional. So it's kind of a different problem at play. Um, but, yeah, and I, I think ultimately given the journey that led me to join Icarus, you know, to Huawei United, like I would never want Icarus not to be able to service, not, I want to say like the smallest, not saying Huawei United was the smallest possible team, but, you know, we should never not be working with a team like Huawei United because I actually right. there's more value to a group of 10 friends who that is like their main friend group and that is like, that is that is what they care most about like in the world outside of like you know family friends like the, the big mm-hmm. things like no, absolutely i was like you know they would say like football's the most important the least important thing it's like at that point what we do matters the most um and you know if we worked with a a manchester united for example like people care about what the kit looks like but it, it doesn't mean as much per person as like a really small team who are just like blown away mm-hmm. by the fact they get to have like their kit that reflects yeah oh yeah that's huge and that's not huge. something else yeah no absolutely and you talked a little bit earlier about like level of engagement it's like really creating that that connection um and so how have you seen that like going from you know just your average sunday league or just whoever really would would want to order x amount and i remember you guys saying you got a pretty low like minimum order as well like is it 15 18 kits something like that uh as far as like a minimum number of shirts that would need to be ordered which is like super accessible yeah it's just 10 actually so even 10 yeah so it's like i mean mean, you could have like a seven aside team and and have your own kits is is huge Um, or even a five side team with a few subs yeah yeah, we've done like weddings bachelor bachelorette parties love that pretty accessible yeah how is that then have you seen that go from like just the average, you know, men's team or just a group of friends playing, playing in a pub league to like now actually having some, you know, if you could talk about some of like the professional sides in Ghana uh, that you've been working or Bhutan or some of those places, like kind of um, how does that kind of change a little bit what you guys are offering, but also still stay true to like your mission and values? It's a good question. Um, I think ultimately the, the, the pure offering is still the same. You know, you were trying to create a kit that resonates um, with fans in this case, rather than the players of the team. Um, and that, you know, people are excited to wear as a fashion piece. Um, you know, the relationship of the deal is very, very different. And um, working with some of the lead team, there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, working with international clubs as well is just very, um, you know, it's in this day and age, especially very tricky with supply chains, Mm -hmm. shipping, customs, language barriers, um, different business practices. Um, It it can be difficult, but I don't want to say it's more rewarding. So as I said earlier, I think the most rewarding thing is the smallest club possible. Um, But it's it's more rewarding in a different way because you're offering something to a community um, that they've never had before. 
for example, I mean, Ghana is a really good example of this. Like, you look at the FC Smartex, their new club centers around a very um, small community. Um, it's effectively like a, it's like an industry town. It's, like it's a timber um, okay. company town. So everybody who works in, who lives around FC Smartex town has some association um, with the timber industry. And so basically the, the club is funded by um, the overarching company. And as a result, okay. everyone who, um, it's a community club. Like everyone who goes to the games and even plays in the team is, is very intimately related to this community. And they've built, there's a lot of investment behind it. They've built a beautiful stadium. If you look at it online, like actually made of wood um, using like the timber that they make. Wow. Uh, it's gorgeous. And it's like one, of, I, I think one of the most well-run clubs in the league. Um, and they're probably my favorite Ghanaian kits to made as well. And so it's really cool to be able to actually make those fans feel like they're supporting like a really, like their small community club is really legit, legitimate. Like they're playing in the Premier mm -hmm. League. They have a real serious stadium. The kits are really fire and they can buy them as fashion pieces and they're like priced as per, they should be priced in Ghana, not as if they're priced in America. So they're accessible, okay, right. they're good quality. Um, and it's just something they would never normally have as like a you know, as like a symbol of pride for their community. Absolutely, and I think that's yeah. like a different kind of cool um, on like a larger scale than just working in a small club. Yeah, very cool. Especially in a place that has such a a core identity, like you said, is everyone's got a really similar lifestyle or is affected by the same things. Um, which in many places, like you know, not the case. We tend to, I feel like, uh, as as Certain regions do have their own character, but but things are are changing as as the world changes. But and that's where kind of like that that club or that connection that you have um, kind of comes into place. Like going back to what you said when you got into football with Woking, like just that feeling. It, it sounded like from what you said, it's that feeling of being connected. Of of sure, like you had other options for for football around you, right? Anywhere you look, but like it was just having that feeling of engagement of like you were really a parting something, being close and and like kind of feeling everything and that you know that is absolutely like embodied and kind of brought out through through the shirt you're wearing and, and for maybe or what do you know if somebody's based on their responses of like hey this could be a good fit versus like somebody's just looking maybe for for another supplier to come in and be able to sponsor everything or, or operate differently like what do you guys kind of look for that really resonates with you i think it's about trying to manage the club and what we see as like a really honest and um yeah in a way that i think is in the interest of the community of fans and i think that, like, of the clubs that we work in ghana i mean especially the only gold stars i think especially fc smartex and also in the case of Thimphu city that's very apparent um and like the people that we work with from those clubs i think are very very easy to work with, very honest. Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that, that's a big part of it. Um, I mean, also, like, we, we you know, we, we would work with any clubs. Like, I don't think there's any clubs that we, we wouldn't work with pretty much. Like, with maybe a few exceptions. I don't want to, you know, sign that away. I'm sure there are some clubs we wouldn't work with. But on the whole, we would work, we, we want to work with any clubs. So I think that, you know, there is a unique story behind every team. There's a unique story between everyone who's at the game. And like, uh, especially, you know, in somewhere like Ghana, where I've never been, um, you learn a lot of really interesting things from chatting to people. Um, same with Bhutan, um, that you would not learn otherwise. And I think, you know, even if it was a club that came to us that ostensibly has no, you know, no social media, no, um, 
no, no, you know, very, very little information about right. it. It was still strike our interest because there is something to be learned and something to um, be enjoyed about working with them and value that we can offer them. Um, so, yeah, in short, I, I, it's kind of two different questions. How do we look for clubs? I think it's more based around um, what is available upon our network of like friends in these different countries who are okay. just near Chris as well. A lot of personal relationships. Um, a lot of personal relationships. You can't just go, like, you can't just go online and find the right person to chat to these clubs. It's a lot of, um, yeah, it's a lot of suggestions, recommendations, word of mouth. Um, and then in terms of wherever we work that club, it's, it really comes down to like economics. Like, can we work out? Because I think you work for clubs in Ghana. It's a wildly different economic mm-hmm. um, situations for clubs in the US. And, you know, we don't want to lose money at the end of the day from working with right. clubs because interested we are as a business. So it's about how do we, you know, ensure that they are getting the best deal possible for their club because, you know, we're less than a player that, you know, they're less well off um, as a community than we are in Philadelphia or London. You know, we don't want to rip them off. We don't want to extract money right. from and right. going to the games there. Like, ultimately, we just want to break even because we think it's a cool thing to do um, and we want to work with those clubs and tell their stories because we think it promotes, like, the ideology sounds a bit too grand, but, like, the vision of what we want to be as a brand, which is working with Right, Absolutely clubs in different communities and giving them something that they don't necessarily get otherwise um so that you know it can take a little back and forth to work out whether that is possible because sometimes it just fundamentally isn't possible if you know the average purchase of a shirt in a certain country is four dollars and that's more than it costs for us to make it like there's no right. way that we can reconcile right. and try to strike a partnership um but we do our best to try and make it work um if there is interest in both both sides yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, very cool. And and so you mentioned kind of you, you learn a lot about those communities, those areas. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Give us one fun fact that you've learned about Ghana and or uh-huh. Bhutan. I think for most people, they're thinking like, what is Bhutan? Um, it's a very small, as I understand, a very small uh, nation in the mountains of the Himalayas, I believe, um, kind of wedged up in that, you know, it, it, around India, China area. So but yeah, what, what fun facts do you have to share with us? That's a good question. So I know, I know a lot more about Ghana just moving so we've worked with so many clubs there for so long. Um, we, we had a really good chat with this, the grandson of the founder of the Cape Coast, Abisua Dwarfs, about a year ago, um, current son of the current chairman, who um, and now Samuel Butler was the, also the chairman of the Ghana NFA for about 10 years as well, okay. like very high up then. Ghana and football. Um, and he just saw so many very, these are more anecdotes than fun facts, but just like apparently at a game, like when they went to a game as a kid, um, as an like, act of intimidation, the opposition um, like boardroom effectively did not let his father, who was the, the president of the football association, into the stadium as a way, because they thought by not letting him into the stadium, it would just like um, kind of embarrass the team and Okay. You know, results on lack of motivation, a loss of pride, a loss of face that would then like negatively impact because there's a lot of like superstition around these games. Um, they okay. kind of like try and like, you know, just yeah, set play you off a little, a little bit, bit, put you off your game. Yeah. 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 And so he, he told this great story about how, like, so then, you, you know, which is not common at that point, this was in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, for like the owner of these clubs to like, um, basically sit with the fans who are like 
standing on a hill over the stadium so right. you don't want to buy tickets. Yeah. So it's just like mm-hmm. you can buy the Brentford Stadium now, you have those flats, that same kind of thing. So you just sort of like him out his whole family like went and just like sat with like the community like coast fans who traveled um, and they like all like lifted like the chairman on their shoulders and like dancing around <laughs> and, and one and it was like a, a galvanizing like we don't need your stinking yeah exactly, like, exactly. We, don't we don't need your stinking boardroom yeah yeah we'll stay here and we'll, we'll win anyway um so that was like it was a big little story um we also asked like everyone always asks him the cape coast mysterious dwarves is a crazy name um for someone born in yeah. England, like where like, yeah. so you're like what is the origin of that name um and we didn't get a straight answer because he was like ultimately no one actually knows um but there's a few theories um one because it's initially it's also interesting history. The Cape Christmas Series Dwarves was set up as an anti-colonial team. It was one of the first clubs set up in Ghana when it was under British okay. control. And again, that and was, was the Cape Coast Mysterious Dwarves, right? Just making sure yes. we get that right yes. there. Cape yes. Coast Mysterious Dwarves. Exactly. Makes sense yes. that the, the origin itself is mysterious. Otherwise, it would be the straightforward, like quite, obvious <laughs> dwarves, and that dwarves. just doesn't have the same quite, ring. <laughs> quite right. Quite right. Um, so it was founded in like the 40s, I think, maybe 50s, 30s. Um, as a team of like, local Ghanaians um, who wanted to create a football team. And at that point, it was only like white British, um, like colonial mm-hmm. um, right. officers, residents, whatever you want to call it, in the area of playing football. So they basically created this team as a way of, you know, wanting to play football and they wanted to challenge like the white uh, colonizers to a match of football at the end of it. Um, and so there's two convenient, keep competing theories as to why it's mysterious to three, actually. One, is that the people at that time were just were just smaller than the white British team. So that's where okay. the name came in. Pretty, and yeah. The mysterious okay. element is kind of uncertain. There's, they all, he also mentioned it could be because in that local religion, there is this character who is roughly translated as a mysterious dwarf. He's like a small, like, he's more like, a, like an elf or like some sort of like magical, um, yeah, magical character who like, Okay. Steals things a little bit like a tooth fairy, like like. And so the idea is like you're like pickpocketing right. three points, or like on okay. the side, like so you're just going Stand around like three points all over the league. Gotcha. I like that theory. Yeah, I think actually, I think it's just those two theories. I I I, I lean towards okay. the second theory, and maybe in a combination yeah. of the two. Um, and talk about a psychological advantage. I mean, if you've got a team that is embodying this this like uh, mythical creature. You know, coming against right, you, you're gonna be right. thinking it's it's not exact. It's not just eleven men. It's eleven men and a mysterious dwarf about to steal three points. Exactly. So, ready, ready yeah, to take your points. And you got no chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to give any other things to go on in. I I don't think, head. and we we come back. We were talking before about you know not necessarily comparing with the bigger clubs, but just saying what this has to offer. I don't I don't think you could find a club in the Premier League or or the Champions League that has quite as interesting or mysterious of an origin story, at least for a name, right? 100%. 100%. They are there. There's a lot of uniqueness, but exactly. Yeah. No, they're really... One of the reasons we were trapped with the Cape Coast Force in the first place is we saw they had a Japanese striker. We are basically like, how on earth... Yeah, I've seen some posts about that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he seems to be a bit of a mini celebrity as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, like funny, of, so there were two foreign players in the league when we started working in clubs in Ghana, Jimbo and a player called Fabio Gama, who are friends. Um, and it was just, it, it was just like 
Fabio Gomez is Brazilian number 10 um, with like yeah. an afro. So obviously everyone in the league is like, this guy is, is, is the best player. He's like the most skillful mm-hmm. player. It's like a Brazilian number... You, you don't get more um, saucy than a Brazilian number 10 in like, yeah. international football. Like it, it, it doesn't yeah. get better. So I think he had like, especially uh, a cult celebrity status around him. He also made the biggest team in the country and was ostensibly also one of the best players in the league. Sure. Um, and they won the league. Um, he's now playing in the Bahraini League, which seems like a Good, good move for him as well. <laughs> Financially speaking, yeah, uh, yeah. Really we were just like upgrade, yeah. a story about how is a how how's a Japanese striker ended up playing straight in in Ghana. Um, so we we've done that. Like, we didn't ask as well. You find you in that story online. But that's, you know, he you know, he moved around a lot as a kid. And, uh, he lived in Holland for a bit, and then he studied abroad. And at some point, you know, he was in Japanese youth academies. He was a good player growing up. And at some point, he just wanted to like try and. Just, you know, basically try and explain his football career didn't pan out in certain places or just explore what, where we could make a career in different places. Right. Um, so well, he went to Tanzania and they see, basically what connects with the people and ends up traveling, just tra- basically traveling to Africa to find a club. Um, and then ended up in Cape Coast when they like, they saw the value in him. Um, he ended up being the first Japanese, like the Asian player in general to play in the Ghanaian leagues, which is wow. trailblazing. Cool yeah, well. it's amazing. Again, and those are like connections and different relationships and just experiences just because of the game. You know, it's like there would be probably not too many other reasons for that to happen. Or I can't, you know, uh, I don't know too much about international relations between Japan and Ghana, but it wouldn't be the first first thing you think of. Um, and again, just shows like kind of what the game has to offer. Um, just just a really awesome awesome story so definitely look forward to seeing more of that and um so yeah i guess like if we kind of carried on with that theme too um you know we talked about some of your experiences and then and then with icarus as well like what do you think uh, if, if you had to kind of complete that sentence because football dot 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 like what would how would you uh how do you think you would you would finish that sentence johnny so i think i would finish it as like because football is one of the few collective in-person communal events that we have left, I think, in the world. Um, like for me, football is all about the in-person experience. It's all about however many people, whether it's hundreds around the stadium with no seats mm-hmm. or 90,000 at Wembley, just being so engrossed in what is happening in, in like a collective way. I think, you know, I love going to concerts for a similar reason, but you don't find many um, spaces in the world anymore where people are paying attention to like in-person, live, community-based events in the same way anymore. Yeah. Um, I think that's really special because, you, you know, you have, it, uh, that's also why I, I like the English football atmosphere. And this is a little bit um, maybe nationalistic for me to say this. Like, for go for it. Yeah. To, like, Southern, Southern American atmospheres because, you know, which always often everyone's like, oh, you know, not the you know, Boca Juniors are going to play craziest game of all time. And don't get me wrong, like, it's way crazier than some game of Premier College. I'm not going to defend that. But there's something so reactionary about how English football crowds are as a crowd. Like, if it if the game is bad, but like, it's pretty quiet. And if the game is annoying, like, the crowd's getting on the player's back. There's a, a, a very strong relationship between the game that's happening and the fans that are watching. Whereas mm. if you watch a you know, game, games with quote-unquote like, legendary atmospheres, I've been to a couple of them. It is really cool for a totally different reason. It's like carnival acts, everyone's like having a good time. But everyone's yeah, kind of just doing the same thing. Constantly. Pitch. It's okay. constant energy, even if the game is absolutely terrible. 
And I kind of like that relationship where it's like you have this like game happening and you've got like tons of people like really feeling it. Um, and yeah, I think that's really special because I don't think there's many um, examples of that. Like for my friends who don't go to football matches, um, I'm like, when was the last time you were in a group of 50,000 people paying attention to one thing? Probably a long, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that's hard to explain. And um, I think uh, I was just thinking of this the other day, like, especially in England, I think the one thing as an outside observer that sticks out is just like, and, and a lot of football and cultures have this, but it's like all the, the different songs, right. And the singing, like in the U S we don't sing, like we have chants, like we, we sing the national anthem and then we have chants and all those chants tend to be pretty similar you know, across. And I know that that even in the UK and around the world, there's a lot of borrowing and sharing and, and stealing of melodies and tunes and things like that. But but it really stuck out to me that like, you know, there are certain clubs have an unofficial song that the fans will sing, whether it's a, a pop song or whether it's just, you know, related to the club itself. And, and maybe one season they decide to sing this or they heard the song and they had, you know, a, a massive season. And now it's a tradition. And And I thought, you know, I was thinking, okay, like, yeah, to your point of just being together, but how often are you just singing together? Which it goes back to something like really kind of deep within I, I th- within us as as like humans, I think of sharing that. And we don't really do that much anymore. Of course, you go to a concert, but but the fact that it's at a, a non-musical type of venue, I think is is really huge. Um, and and uh, just really struck me of like, wow, yeah, not only are we not in person a lot, but singing and sharing in this, this act together, um, you know, it, it speaks to some kind of like ritual that goes beyond just, you know, the three points and the scoring, although that dictates a lot of it. Um, it's just something that seems to, that doesn't quite make sense logically, but it just does make sense like emotionally as people. Totally. So I actually read an interesting theory about that aspect of English football, but the singing song, you know, it also applies to concerts because I, I've always noticed I've seen the same artists in the US and in the UK. An English crowd is way better at singing back to a, um, a former than a US crowd in like hmm. a very choral, um, connected way. And he also plays football games. And the theory I read, I never really thought about it, but I read it online that everyone at school in England, like primary school, primary school you have to sing like, like hymns. Because you know, mm. there's no separation between okay. church and state, and it's not really a religious thing. You just sing. They're not really religious. It's like somewhere along the way, some trying to like one, one of the good example. Um, they're, they're like childish, childish, childish songs. So you like sing right like, in assembly, or we might call like um, nursery rhymes or kid songs. Yeah, yeah, kind of like nursery rhymes, but it's like a pretty big part of like the, the primary school English education across the board. And I think that like just like wise you like for the rest of your mm. life so when you're in another situation like at a full match or at a, at a at a concert you're kind of more in tune to singing back uh, in a choral fashion uh, which was a pretty interesting theory i'm sure someone's very interesting, interesting. yeah yeah. yeah we always have like um in the u.s schools we had like chorus but that was like a separate subject that you would do after a certain age and yet you would sing and then you have a choral concert and things but it's not quite a an everyday type of thing which it sounds like it is in the uk yeah yeah very very cool what would um what would be one of those songs for for fulham then that uh maybe i'm not going to put you on the spot and make you sing it you can just give us titles and we can link and we can just link uh in the description 
I saw a song, Reem obviously has the most iconic, which is just every time he does anything, everyone goes, that's, easy. Like, that, uh, that's a more American one too, where we've got a lot of those things, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of the one, two syllables, um, not quite various verses and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I mean, me, me chose the doctor, the uh, Will Griggs on five, the me chose on five. Like, I think it's tough to like really see it as your own when you like take it from another club. Um, right. I, I want to say that Phil and pioneered the Super Trooper ABBA um, football chant, which was which goes to tune Super Trooper, it's like Harry Wilson, Mitchell, Mitchell, Neeskins, and it's like to the tune Super Trooper. Um, Neeskins Cabana, this is. Um, it's also great fun facts. They say in every film game, so I'm going to bore my parents ever since this. So they hate some facts, but Neeskins Cabana named after Dutch midfielder Johan Neeskins um, right. by his Congolese father. That's basically called Neeskins. Super random. Um, I know I was gonna say I don't that, think I was like Niskins didn't play for Fulham though, right? But but I know the, yeah. the other player. Yeah, great player. Um, so that's a good one. I mean, every player's own chant. It's always nice to like you hear the play again. And I think Leno got maybe his first. I can't remember what went to, but first chant this last weekend. As did um, like like Kenny Tete took a while to get a chant. Now he's like a firm favorite. So it's like there's like that first chant moment. Okay. Yeah, and you know, as a player, you know, you finally arrived. You know, you You finally have your song. Yeah, and there's nothing like that. I mean, a lot of I listen to a lot of uh, interviews and podcasts with retired players, and it's like that's the type of thing like you will never really get again. You know, unless like I don't know. Do you watch Ted Lasso? I actually haven't seen Ted Lasso. Well, I have seen okay. Ted Lasso. All right. Know. Obviously, it has more of an American I, I know, I know draw, but but I would say still, you know, I would I think the way it's done could would still appeal to to British audience as well. Um, but uh, but like there was an episode where one of the main characters went back to his old club and got that you know that that kind of warm welcome again, and it kind of like you know, just, just the impact they had on him. There's just nothing, nothing quite like it again to the, the point of song and everyone being together. It's really, really amazing. Um, but yeah, hope to, to, uh, Craven Cottage is a, is a stadium I've always wanted to visit. It always looked very unique. It still looks quite, I would, if I would use the word, maybe like antique or still very much like vintage mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of how a lot of clubs have, have updated. Um, so I, I, and I know a family over here that just went and, and recently and loved the experience and, and thought it was great. So we'll hope to, to get over there at, at some point, um, you know, to, to see that as well. I've only, myself personally, I've only, I've only been to one game in the UK that was at, at Vale Park for Port Vale. So that's my club that I, I support, but uh, a family from that area originally. Um, and uh, found out recently too, that uh, I think my great great grandfather played for the Port Vale Reserves in like 1887 in a match or something like that. So that's extremely, pretty cool. Extremely legit. That's more yeah, than I have. Very, so very. So, so yeah, and to to know that. So, but yeah, still a lot to experience. Um, and then how about at least stateside? Like, I imagine you attend some MLS matches or college or like what was your experience of that? It's it's very different. We're very much, I think. Um, I think it's diverse because we have a lot of different cultures that pour into the game here. But I think in many, you know, in, in some places where they're closer to having a, a culture of their own as compared to others. Yeah, I, I don't think I was lucky enough to go to any of the really good examples of soccer culture in the US. I, I went to a couple of MLS games at New York City FC, which is not great. Um, yeah, in a baseball strong. stadium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah wasn't it? I went to a bunch of games at Princeton, um, which was fun. 
you know, you just you know, join with your friends or stand behind a goal and you kind of know the players. And that was fun. But the, the actual, especially like the play style was very, um, very direct, but not in like the Tony Kula slump into the big man direct. It's like the lump yeah. is very fit, fast forwards. He's like, there's just a lot of running and back and forth and not yeah. many chances yeah. on the whole. Um, but that was fun. It was cool. Like, be able to go to games so locally. Um, I've actually known it's a union game, which I mean, I would like to you gotta fix that. Because I think yeah. one of the better, but yeah, you got one of the better examples of Bangkok from the US. Um, yeah, I guess like, my experience is more like playing in like lowly, like, I've always been lowly, the lowest of the lowest leagues um, in the US. That, that was mainly my experience. And I, I love that because I think there's a real, you know, a, every club like is really, everybody runs these clubs at the lowest league and lowest level, which is all about clients, by the way. It's just like really nice to work with. And I'm not just saying that because I work with Chris and you know, right. these yeah. are our clients, but from like working with them, like a lot of our clients, I used to chat to you as like a fellow captain. I used to go to sideline, we used to text. And I mean, it's like, because it's just so relatable because like, I literally did what they were doing. Like yeah, you years. were that guy, like you, you just self-described yeah, annoying client. Yeah, you know, maybe the yeah, most yeah, annoying yeah. client. <laughs> so I get it. Like, I get, I get what they want to do. I get what they care about. I get what's annoying about running a team like that. As I, I, yeah, and that's a good perspective to have on. Like Chris Hap also is just like it is and really nice. Like when you go to your major game on Sunday and your opposing captain like is is. Like the equivalent of you for another community somewhere else. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, to, um, absolutely. Lots of draw upon. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, I see that. I've I've played a lot of those leagues, and I've never taken up the mantle myself of being the guy to make sure you have eleven. Or you know, you've got an email list of thirty-five, and somehow you still only get nine, ten, eleven every every Sunday. Pretty, I, mean, I recognize I, I, I you know, collecting job, fees and all that, you know. So I recognize that that's like a big sacrifice. So all the the, the captains out there, we appreciate you. We see you. It's a very thankless job, but without you, you know, nobody would, would get their get their act together at all. So we appreciate you. Cool, Johnny. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with us um, and, and uh, giving your time here to Because Football. It's a great, great, uh, great chat. Really enjoyed it. Um, if people want to get in touch, if they're interested in Icarus or just would want to get in touch with you about um, anything for their clubs, like what's a good way to, to get in touch with you guys? Um, honestly, if you just shoot us a DM on Instagram or Twitter, or if you want to email us, those emails we have a bunch of emails. My personal one is Johnny J O N N Y no H two N's uh, at IcarusFC.com. Um, there's also emails on our website and on our Instagram as well. So cool. I'll be sure email, to link this is what anything that's publicly available, you'll find us. Cool. And I'll be sure to link all that in the description so everybody can can find that and, and hopefully get themselves a nice uh, personalized uh, Icarus kit at some point for their uh, their local club or squad. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, awesome. Thanks so much, Andrew. We'll, 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 we'll have you again for sure.